are going downstairs, if you want to go ahead, uh, we're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 2 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and get turned there, we're going to be beginning in verse 18 and looking at the uh, letter that Jesus writes to the church in Thyatira. And let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Lord, we just approach you this morning. Lord, just, just so grateful for the love that you show us each and every day. And Lord, I just thank you uh, again for just our musicians, Lord, for just the blessing it is to be able to stand and lift our voices to you and just, and just worship you in song and just sing of how great you are. And Lord, as we look at your uh, word this morning, Lord, it's, it's my prayer that, that you would be able to just uh, to bless our time here, Lord, that, that I am able to clearly and concisely bring your truth from the word this morning. And Lord, again, I just, uh, just, just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for just the, uh, the unmeasurable love that he has for us, a love that just led him to the cross on our behalf. It's his name we pray. Amen. All right, before we actually get into the lesson, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of where we are so far and just kind of take a quick look back at the, uh, at the other churches that Pastor has taken us through so far. The first letter that, that he covered was to the church at Ephesus, and we learned there that Jesus commended the church at Ephesus on their works and, and how they were able to test uh, just those teaching in the church and and and. and calling out those, those false prophets as false. And so he commended that work in them, but he rebuked them for leaving their first love, for having, for having no love. Next, we looked at Smyrna and how Jesus revealed to them that they were about to face some struggles and tribulations, and he encouraged them, and, and he, he pointed out their, their poverty, their poverty, and whether that poverty was financial, whether it was health, but he told them that... Uh, he encouraged them that, that they're rich, though. Even though they were poor, they were very rich in him, and he was all they would need to see them through the struggles that were coming. And then next, we looked at the church at Pergamum and how Jesus uh, was encouraged by their faith, but then was angered by some in the church embracing false doctrines and practicing syncretism. And if you remember, Pastor walked us through what syncretism was, and that's basically... Uh, mixing Jesus, Jesus with someone or something else, trying to serve Jesus while embracing something from the world. Uh, last week, Pastor took us through Sardis, and Sardis was a church that had a reputation of being alive, but Jesus called them out as being dead. And so this week, we're going to uh, kind of back up one and go back to the uh, letter there in Thyra for Thyatira. And so let's go ahead and just read through that text real quick. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, uh, we're going to be on page 966. And so let's beginning, uh, begin reading chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, 
but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold these teachings, and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule, rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so there is a, a lot of information here to unpack. And so hopefully I can, I can do a good job of that as I was preparing. There's a lot of rabbit trails in this that we could kind of take off onto. So, so hopefully I'm not able to, uh, or I'm able to, to avoid doing that this morning. And uh, one quick here. I got this water this morning. It says it's smart water. It's false advertising. <laughs> it hasn't helped a bit. <clears throat> All right, first, real quick, before we kind of dive into what the text says, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the area of Thyatira and where it's at. Cademan, if you would pull that map up for me, bud. All right, so, get my handy-dandy pointer here. So, I, got, I found a little bit of a different map than what uh, Pastor had used in the past, just because, for me, I wanted to see a bigger picture and kind of give you an idea of where we're at. So, down here in the bottom corner is Israel. You have Jerusalem here. Well, the letters are written to uh, the, the cities in uh, Asia Minor right up here. So uh, you can see Thyatira is in this area right here. What it doesn't show is there's actually a river that runs along the north and the south of Thyatira. So it's actually settled between uh, two rivers. And so Thyatira was a city of commerce. It was a working person's town. Uh, it was well known for its cloth making, for dyeing materials, uh, for its leather works, pottery making, and uh, its metal works. And so because of where it was located, it wasn't really considered a military stronghold. It was actually kind of nestled in between some rolling hills. The ground was very fertile with it having those two rivers on both sides of it. Uh, it wasn't really considered an, an important place for worship, like people didn't travel to Thyatira just for uh, the temples. But, but make no mistake, they, they still had the temples. They had temples to Apollo, they had temples to the Roman emperor and a few pagan temples. And, uh, and again, like Pastor had already pointed out, uh, those temples to Apollo and the Roman emperor, they considered them sons of God, and, and the God that they worshipped uh, was Zeus. And so uh, today, let's see, go ahead and go to those other pictures, Cademan, if you would. Uh, that's a modern day picture of where Thyatira was. Now, it says the church at Thyatira. I think that's just a title. That's not actually the church. But uh, that is part of the ruins there. And then if you go to the other picture, this was actually sketched in 1836. So back then, that is what that area looked like. I just thought that was a neat picture. But, uh, but uh, Thyatira today is in the uh, modern city of, if I pronounce this right, Akhishar, Turkey. So I've seen some pictures of the modern town, and right in the middle of town, you have old uh, 
just remnants of that foreign city there. And so it's just, it's a very neat area if you want to look that up uh, for some pictures. But uh, the letter to Thyatira begins just as uh, the other letters did with Jesus introducing himself. And so verse 18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so Jesus here introduces himself in two ways. He introduces himself by title, but then he also introduces himself by appearance. He uses the title Son of God, basically reinforcing that he is the Son of the one true God. There's one God one son. Basically just uh, saying, you have these temples to Apollo, you have them to the Roman emperor, you know, these are man-made gods. I am the one true son of the one true God. And so then he uh, uh, introduces himself by appearance, and the first way he does that, he says, I have eyes like a flame of fire. And so this, the, 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 the flame of fire, it represents the power of his vision and that Jesus sees all. Nothing is hidden from his vision and he sees right to the very heart of man. So no matter what we try to camouflage ourselves with, no matter what we try to, to you know, put in way, Jesus uh, is just going to see through that. He's going to burn it away and see right to the very heart of who we are. Uh, next, he says that uh, he has feet like burnished bronze. And that, that burnished bronze represents his purity and his power for executing judgment. And so it, it's kind of interesting that he uh, presents it like that, and especially to this church, because again, it's a commerce town, it's a working person's town, and they have those uh, metal works there, and I think they would have truly understood when he said burnished bronze exactly what he was talking about, and I think they would have got a very good picture of that as well. And so uh, in some of my study, I find that actually that description of eyes like uh, flaming fire and feet like burnished bronze was also used in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in J Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. And so if you want to make time just sometime later, go there, read that story. But that's when the angel appears to Daniel, and that is how uh, that angel uh, appears to look when he comes to Daniel. Uh, let's look at verse 19 real quick. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And so uh, Jesus' vision of the church uh, begins with a commendation of five good things. So Jesus recognizes, number one, their works, which basically is their conduct in general. Number two, he uh, commends them for their love, which again is just the cardinal Christian value. The, the greatest of these is love. He commends them on their faith, which most commentators say that uh, the faith used here isn't in like the faith as far as like belief or trust, but, but rather their faithfulness. And so the faith in the church at Thyatira would look like a confidence or a firm commitment toward Christ that would endure in spite of difficult times. And so then he commends them on their service. Again, which speaks to actions taken to help others to provide aid and support in a variety of both physical and spiritual needs. And finally, their uh, patient endurance, uh, which I feel looks like the ability to withstand the op opposition that they were facing from both outside and inside the church itself. And so he gives them this, comment, this uh, commendation, but then follows it up 
with the statement that your latter works exceed your first. And so uh, anyway, Jesus sees that the most recent works are greater than when they first started. And I believe it's an actual sign that even though he's getting ready to transition into something bad in that church, that within the church there's still maturity and discipleship going on, and they're actually growing uh, in their work. And before we look at that transition that Jesus makes into that, just point out, you know, as everyone, churches are a very unique and a complex thing. You can have a lot of things going on inside a church, and so it's possible to have the sin that we're getting ready to look at and maturity and growing in discipleship also within a church. And so uh, in verse 20 is when we start that transition, and it's the same transition that we've seen so far in Ephesus, Pergamum, and Sardis. And so let's read verses 20 through 23 again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now we actually see a paradox here if we compare Thyatira and Ephesus. Ephesus had the ability to weed out the false prophets. They recognized them, they weeded them out, they got rid of them, but they had no love. Well, just oppositely, Thyatira had love in the church, they were growing in love, but they had the false teaching within the church and we're tolerating it. And so uh, the year was uh, 1750. On May 2nd of that year, there was a, a, a boy born by the name of John Andre in London, England. John Andre grew up in London and grew up in a good family. He was raised to have good manners, to be polite, to be a gentleman. In 1771, John Andre joined the British Army and by 1778 had been uh, promoted to the rank of Major. So now Major John Andre found himself serving in Canada for the British Army and he would be uh, given a task. In 1780, he was to go down to New York and he was working alongside Benedict Arnold, which I'm sure a lot of you remember that name. Well, Major John Andre's task was to go down and he was going to work and the British needed to gain control of West Point, New York, which is along the Hudson River. And West Point was considered one, uh, just a great stronghold. The British thought if they could only get, gain control of West Point, the tide of the Revolutionary War would turn. Well, it turns out that he, John Andre found himself down there he had dispatches, he had uh, just like plans for what they were gonna do. And three lowly ranking militiamen happened to come along him on, on the side of the road. They start questioning him and they take him prisoner. Well, word gets back to General George Washington that they found this man, he has all of this stuff. And so they bring Major John Andrew, Andre to George Washington and uh, basically him and his inner circle. Well. 
Major Andre's reputation had preceded him. Every, they, people knew him. Uh, even uh, Alexander Hamilton, who was part of George Washington's inner circle, knew who Major John Andre was. Well, back then, the, uh, the judgment and the punishment for being a spy was hanging. Well, because of his character, because he was an upstanding British officer, because of just his reputation and his character, the people under Washington were just begging Washington to just let him live. Don't kill him. And George Washington told him, he's like, you don't understand. Even though he has great character, his actions are what needs to be judged, not necessarily who he is, but what he did. And so on October 2nd, 1780, John Andre was hung as a spy. Number one, because George Washington understood that had he let the man live, had he even just, uh, I, I forgot one part, Major John Andre knew that George Washington was not gonna let him live. But he asked to be put to death like normal officers by firing squad, but George Washington dismissed that, that request also. Understanding that if it got out that this stuff was being tolerated, it would just uh, happen again and again and again. And one of these times, uh, that spy would succeed in what they were trying to do, and it would have uh, turned the tide of the Revolutionary War. So now, even though we're, I'm, I'm trying to compare, you know, a wartime Revolutionary War years ago with uh, what was going on in this church, it's about toleration, it's about judgment. And so uh, hopefully you can kind of see where that's gonna tie in here. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus names the prophetess that's within the uh, Thyatira church, he, he, he names her Jezebel, which uh, even though Thyatira is considered a Gentile church and they have a few of the, uh, uh, there's a few Jews mixed in there, I believe they all know who Jezebel was. Uh, just like in the letters to, uh, to, to Pergamum where he names Balaam and Balak, I believe that they know these people and they know their stories. And uh, I'm not gonna get too deep into the story of Jezebel, but just kind of doing a brief over, overview, Jezebel was argu arguably the most evil woman who lived in the Bible. Uh, she was the daughter of Ethbal, uh, king of the Sidonians, and the wife of King Ahab, the king of Israel. And it's funny to note that whenever King Ahab is introduced and he becomes king of Israel, it even mentions that he, he, King Ahab did more evil than anyone ever before him. And that comes because of marrying Jezebel and the influence that she had of turning him to worshiping Baal. And again, that infiltrated the entire nation of Israel. The entire nation of Israel began to worship Baal. And so uh, anyway, the end of Jezebel's life is kind of a gruesome one. Uh, it, it's neat. If you want to go read about this, you can read from 1 Kings 16 to 2 Kings chapter 9 is a story of a Jezebel just sufficeth to say, you know, there's falling out of a window, blood splattering on a wall, trampled by horses, and then eaten by dogs. So it's a good story. All right. So anyway, so this prophetess was leading some in the church into sexual immorality and eating foods offered to idols. Now, perhaps her manner was so manipulative, manipulative and persuasive 
that many did not notice or perhaps no one realized the severe danger in which she was placing the entire church in. The text states that she was teaching and seducing. She was somehow misleading the believers by her teaching, which seems to have been in common with the Nicolaitans, which we've talked about in the past, and the followers of Balaam, so that those that she couldn't convince with her teaching, she then would seduce into sexual immorality. And so anyway, it, it, it kind of goes back to even whenever you read about Jezebel back in, in First and Second Kings, it always talks about how she painted up her face. She made herself look presentable, that outer picture that would seduce and uh, draw, draw in into sexual immorality. And then the food, eating to idols. Part of the uh, study I was reading said that within Thyatira at those pagan temples, what was probably happening is those uh, people within the church that were doing that was going and going to uh, like a feast at these pagan temples and eating food that had been offered to idols. And so uh, in verse 21, Jesus transitioned from revealing their sin to revealing his nature toward sin. If you notice what he says, he goes, I gave her time to repent. Revealing his desire to show love and mercy and forgive sin rather than to impose his righteous judgment on sin. Actually revealing his own patient endurance. And so again, he reveals the sin, but before he goes into actually revealing his judgment, he's saying, I gave her time. I wanted her to repent. I gave her opportunity. So he was ready to show love. He was ready to forgive. And so in verse 22, Jesus reveals the judgment. And uh, so again, verses 22 and 23 uh, what is the judgment? I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus states that he will throw her onto a sick, a sick bed and place those who commit adultery with her in great tribulation. So again, Jesus is calling this prophetess and those that are following her into judgment, or calling her to repentance through judgment. And so once again stating that if they do not repent, the judgment of death will follow. Now the term children in verse 23 uh, it's funny because whenever I was reading, some of the commentators don't even touch on that, on that part of children. And so you go in and you, you try to Google that. And boy, some of the, some of the responses you get on that. Uh, so anyway, so just from some trusted sources, here's what we come up with. The term children in verse 23 refers to those following Jezebel and who, and who are unrepentant and choosing to be the children of Jezebel instead of repenting, turning away from her teaching, and becoming again the children of God. So that term children right there is actually referring to those who are following her. Christ gives them an opportunity to repent through judgment. So those that don't repent and continue in their way, those is, that's who he's calling her children, the followers that's going to, basically her spiritual children. Again, those that have repented and turned back to following him, considered the children of God. And so the last part of verse 23 states, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according 
to their works. Cademan, if you would bring that map up again, bud, please. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is whenever he says all the churches will know, now more than likely what, what happens is when, when John penned these letters to the churches, more than likely, and from what I'm reading, it was one long letter. So John wrote this letter and then sent it on. And so if you look on, a, on another map that I've seen, right here between 13 and 14, there's a, a small chain of islands right in there. And Patmos is right there. And so what, more than likely what happened is John penned these letters and then sent them first to the church at Ephesus. So when they got this letter, each church had their own scribe. So he would get that letter, write it all down, and then pass it on to the next church. They would get it, write it down, pass it on to the next church, and so on, until each church had a copy of John's letter. And so whenever Christ says, and all the churches will know uh, that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works, this is what he's talking about. Everybody already knows what you're getting judged on. And so if you don't repent, and, and he follows through with that judgment, they're going to know about it. And so it's going to uh, just be a revelation again to them who Christ is and what his judgment stands for. And so then, uh, again, uh, within that same, uh, that same line, it says, I am he who searches mind and heart. And I believe that goes right back to the description that he gave himself, that eyes like a flame of fire. He searches mind and heart. He's going to burn through all of that stuff that we try to hide ourselves with, and he's going right to the heart. He's going to see through the facade and know the intent of our heart. Now in verse 24, we see a transition again. We've transitioned from the commendation to revealing their sin, his judgment, and then we're transitioning back to those that he commended in the beginning. And so in verses 24 and 25, <clears throat> But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. So Jesus encourages the members of Thyatira that are following him by saying, I don't hold these things against you, and I don't place any of these judgments against you. And so... Basically, everything that's going on with the prophetess, her followings, has nothing to do with the ones that he commended and are following him. And then in verse 25, he instructs them to hold fast. Hold fast to what Jesus has already commended them on. He wants them to hold fast on their works, on their love, their faith, service, and patient endurance. Keep on keeping on. Hold fast to the one true gospel and keep teaching of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Hold fast to the character and very nature of Jesus. Hold fast for the promises that await you for the promises that Jesus gives them starting in verse 26. And let's read 26 through 28. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself has received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. So, to the one who holds fast and the one who conquers, to him Jesus will give authority 
over the nations. And I think it's important to recognize here that Jesus can give authority because Jesus has all authority. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus declares that all authority has been given to me in heaven and over all the earth. And so because of that authority given by Jesus, he declares that we will reign over the nations with him standing by his side. Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if, on, in your pew Bible, it's page 935, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We could have done this like a Bible drill. The first one stands up gets to read it. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We will reign with him. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7 real quick. In your pew Bible, that's page 697. Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to be reading verses 9 through 14. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, let's start in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Ancient of Days, God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, Jesus, and he came to the Ancient of Days, his father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And the dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus can give authority because Jesus has been given all authority. <clears throat> Again, uh, the final promise that we look at now is going to be in verse 28. And it says, I will give him the morning star. If you turn, we're not going to go there, but Revelation 22:16 tells us that Christ himself is the bright and morning star. Numbers 24, 17 foretells of a star rising from the tribe of Jacob, which is Jesus. <clears throat> uh, let's go to uh, 2 Peter real quick. 2 Peter chapter 1, just a few pages back here. 2 Peter chapter 1 in the Pew Bible, uh, page 957. We're going to read verses 16 through 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 19. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If, and, and we ourselves heard this very, voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you to do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Jesus is the morning star. Simply stating that those who hold fast and conquer will be recognized as being Christ-like and having the authority to stand with Christ. So just be, being given the morning star means that you're going to be recognized as being like Christ and be able to stand with Him when we, in the rule of the, uh, of the nations. <coughs> Excuse me. And then finally... The last, the last verse, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Meadowview, what do we need to hear this morning? Today, February 13th, 2022, what can Meadowview take away from a letter written to a church approximately in AD 90? If you read through the letter, you're going to notice that Jesus gives two commands in the letter to the church at Thyatira. Repent. Hold fast. As a church, what sin could we get caught up in that might pull us away from the promises that Jesus has for us? You know, you look at the letter to Thyatira, and theirs was just this prophetess and false teaching. And, and to be honest with you, is, is false teaching going to creep into Meadowview and pull us away? Likely not, but never say never. But likely not. But what could? You know, as you look, God's been blessing Meadowview. And we've started plans, and we've got the building committee, and, you know, and, and looking at, at, at even expanding, building a new building. And what could come with that? Pride, selfishness, jealousy could easily creep in. What idols or idol have we put in place in Jesus in our lives? We need to repent. We need to hold fast, hold fast to the very nature of who Jesus is and display his character wherever we go. If we hold fast and conquer, ours too will be the promise of authority. We will stand right beside the bright and morning star and, be, and will be recognized as being like him and be able to rule by his side. Before we close, I just want to make one last observation. I know many of us that, that have been in church quite a while, whenever you think of the, the first couple of chapters in Revelation and you think about those letters written to the churches, usually the first thing that comes to mind are the bad things, right? The bad things those churches were doing. But I want to, I want, I want to point out something. I don't believe the primary, the primary goal of those letters is not to point a finger at what they're doing wrong. Jesus wants us to come away with seeing one thing, and, and, and really the, the whole motivation behind these letters can be wrapped up into one word, love. 
Jesus loves these churches. Each time he talks about giving them an opportunity to repent because the mind of Christ is to love, is to forgive, it's mercy, it's grace. He would much rather see a church turn back to him, ask for forgiveness, and in his love will, will, will grant forgiveness and hold back judgment. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, or maybe you're not even really sure what that means. If you're here today and a lot of what we talked about is kind of foreign to you, and you have questions, please, after the service, get with me, Pastor Dustin, and we would be glad to answer those questions. If you want to know what it means to, to trust Christ, what, what does that even mean? Who is Jesus? If you have those questions, again, get with us after the service. We would love to answer those questions. If you're a lady and you have those same questions and you would feel more comfortable talking to a lady, we can make that happen also. And so with that, let's, uh, let's just take some time. I'm going to just uh, bow your head, spend some time in prayer reflecting on this letter, and then I will close us. Uh, here in just a second. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we prepare to close our time right now, Lord, it's, it's my sincere prayer that, that, Lord, that each one of us here today take the time to, to search our hearts. Lord, that we find those areas where maybe we're letting the world creep in. Lord, that we would, that we would recognize some of those things that we're, that we're just placing before you. Maybe it's a thing, maybe it's a person. But Lord, I just pray that, that your spirit would just work inside of us. Your spirit would reveal those things to us. And Lord, that we would just take the time to sit down, stop, and repent. Lord, that we would take the time to just come to you and ask for the forgiveness that you're so willing to grant. And Lord, that... That, 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 that then once, once that repentance happens and, and even now if, 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 if repentance isn't even needed Lord that we hold fast Lord hold fast to who you are to the promises that you've given Lord that, that those around us can look at us individually and then in our community that they can look at Meadowview and they see you they see a loving merciful gracious God Lord, I just thank you for your word, for the ability we, we have to open it up and see you. We see your heart, and Lord, we see that, that you want nothing for us but joy and happiness in service to you. And Lord, again, I thank you for today. I thank you for, for being able to just come and spend the time with my church family. And Lord, that even, even uh, those that, that couldn't be here today that are traveling, you be with them. Lord, I'm just thinking of, of Heather's dad right now up in Lincoln. Be with him as he's getting ready to be placed on hospice. And Lord, even the two gentlemen that were mentioned this morning in prayer. Lord, I believe it was Ed and Brett, Lord, that are being taken off of uh, ventilators. And Lord, just 
that you would just heal their bodies, that you would let their lungs work properly the way they should. And Lord, for just some of the other prayers, Lord, I just, I know there's, there's children, there's family members, Lord, that we're praying for. And it's our prayer that you would work. And Lord, just, and even ju just a praise to you as the, the story that Pastor told about the missionaries to Japan. Lord, they, they got their support and they couldn't go because of COVID. They've been waiting for two years. But prayer was answered and they're going to get to go. Praise to you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did on the cross. And that's his name we pray. Amen. Amen.